we are going through um, the confessional standards, the Westminster confessional standards, and for review, when we started to teach Sunday school, we um, talked about various reform doctrines, and then after the reform doctrines, we went through a book of the Bible each Sunday, which is a lot to try to cover Genesis in one you know, 30 to 40 minute time period. It's even difficult to uh, go through Philemon in 30 to 40 minute time period. But we wanted people to have an idea of the meta-narrative, the big picture, what every book of the Bible is about as you read through the Bible, that we know that it all points to Jesus. The story is about Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He revealed what all the law and the prophets had to say concerning him, and their eyes were opened when they had communion with one another. So after that, then we um, uh, started to study the confessional standards where we are today, and the confessional standards um, start uh, with basically um, general revelation. We don't know that there's a God, um, and so uh, we know that there's an a, a intelligent designer, if you will, to use modern terms, but we don't know that there's a triune God. We know that there's a creator, but we don't um, know much beyond uh, that from him. But then when we look at our own hearts and our minds and we examine ourselves, how, how inferior we are to somebody who could create the heavens and the earth, then, and we also see our sin, uh, God was gracious to give us special revelation, of course, which is the Bible. And in the Bible, we know about the Trinity and the Redeemer, uh, the Savior, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus Christ. We understand next in the confessional standards about God's decrees. He is not just a watchmaker God. He's not just an intelligent designer, so don't buy into intelligent design in the school systems. We believe in a God who decrees, controls the events of the world, um, has pre-planned those events, and all for our love and good. If you were a man and you were or a young man and you were at our house yesterday, uh, Canaan did a wonderful job walking through how trials are not sent to the Christian, to the sheep in the pasture of, of Christ the shepherd to punish us. Uh, he punishes his enemies. He punishes those that are stiff-necked or hardened, but those that love him, difficult trials are disciplining them and taking them to a deeper and more full faith. And they're gifts of love, even though they're very, very difficult for us to go through. And we then want to always ask God to remove those difficult trials and remind him of his promises because he wants us to um, remind him of his promises and repeat scripture back to him. So God decrees, he's not an intelligent designer. He creates the heavens and the, and the earth. And <clears throat> we talked about his creation, then we talked about his providences. An example would be good trials or difficult situations as well as good things. When we get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, those are still coming from God, but when we grasp and we take, of course, that is sin that needs to be repented of. So creation, providences, the fall of man, and then God's promise um, so that man won't be left in his falling nature. And the word that we oftentimes use in many areas and in many ways, so I always joke, the answer is Jesus, God, the Bible. Um, 
but it's Jesus, God, the Bible, and covenant. We need to always keep in mind covenants when we read through the scripture. So we went through God's covenant with man. The first covenant, God gave Adam life. Um, and then subsequent covenants as he reveals the same covenant in different ways throughout all of scripture. So this morning, we are going to be looking at the mediator of that covenant. So who do you think is the mediator of that covenant? God, the Bible, or Jesus? Because it's not the covenant. Who's the mediator of the covenant? Yes. Jesus is the mediator of the covenant. That is exactly right. So probably 20 years ago, it was a big deal that people were selling these little rubber bracelets, and they had WWJD on them. What does WWJD stand for? Children, you've probably never seen the bracelets, but WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? And people would wear that. And so we are going to um, look at what would Jesus do because we know what Jesus did, what Jesus did. So way before time, God's eternal decrees, he already knew that men was going to sin. He, um, uh, Jesus was going to become a man. He is the mediator. And for um, Jesus to come into the world, we're going to now look at um, the confessional standards. As I said, we're trying to go back and forth to all of them. This is chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. In the larger confession, it's 41 through 50 chapters, and in the shorter catechism, 21 through 27. So I'm just going to read the first paragraph of Christ the Mediator, chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man the prophet, the priest, the king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, the judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. That summarizes what Jesus did. And now we'll break it out into various little uh, segments, and then we'll review at the end. So how was Jesus humiliated? How did he choose to be God and man? 100% God, 100% man. We've got to keep that in mind. There's all sorts of heresies that are out there, but God is 100% God, Jesus is 100% God, and 100% man. C.S. Lewis says somewhere, um, I think it's C.S. Lewis, so somebody said something, and it might be C.S. Lewis, that the shepherd became the sheep to save the sheep, right? That's basically what Jesus did. The shepherd became the sheep to save the sheep. And so... Jesus entered human nature. He became a human in a very low position. He was born in a 
manger, which is really a feed trough. So it's kind of this morning, Lane and I did chores and we fed grain to the cattle and then just dumped the grain in a steel bucket and that'd be like what Jesus was born in. He submitted to the law. He suffered miseries, right? Pain and affliction. Worse than that, he suffered God's wrath. How did he suffer God's wrath? He took on all the sin of the world and was separated from God, his father. God became man and he was 100% God and 100% man. And he did that to be the mediator so that the shepherd could save the sheep. So the next thing we talked about in the opening paragraph is Jesus became a prophet, a priest, and a king. Have you ever heard about prophets, priests, and kings? Have you read through the Bible? Right? Give me an example of a prophet, children. Larger? Yes? Major or minor, I should say. Speak loudly. Yeah, one of the prophets. They wrote the books. There you go, Amos Obadiah. And when we say major and minor prophets, sometimes we have to go through and analyze what words mean. But it doesn't mean one was more important and one was less important. It just means the size of the books they read. And the themes of all the prophets really just over and over and over again. Sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it reminds me of when I was a child and my parents would correct me over and over again and remind me over and over again when I would do the same thing wrong. And the patterns of the people of Israel and the prophets had to remind them and remind them over and over again, sometimes in shorter books, sometimes in longer books. So what was the prophet's duties and responsibilities? And we're gonna tie this all into us, because what would Jesus do? We know what he did. We wear that bracelet. What should we do? We should act like Jesus. We should do the things that he did. So what does a prophet do? He speaks God's words to the people. That's what Jedediah was going to say. He speaks God's words to his people. Sometimes you ask a child what a prophet does, and he foretells the future. Well, that's true, too. And prophets that foretell something and that it doesn't come to pass, they were false prophets and they were to be stoned. But they speak God's words after him. So what's a prerequisite for us with being a prophet? We must know God's word. We must know God's word, which is a plug for the Bible reading challenge, which is a plug to read the Bible, know the Bible, remind God of his promises in the Bible, know the Bible. Did Jesus know the Bible? Yeah, he knew the Bible. And what did he do? He applied the Bible to the times of his day. He was the word of God incarnate, right? That means he lived the word of God. He lived the word of God. So the Pharisees thought they knew the word of God and the word of God was standing right before them and they didn't recognize it, which meant by definition, they didn't know the word of God. Just because you have an an intellectual knowledge of something does, doesn't mean you have an internal understanding of it. That's why when we're teaching our kids, we don't want to teach them obedience. We want to teach them to love obedience, right? To, to love the standard. 
not teach them to read the Bible, but to love to read the Bible. Okay, so prophet, priest, and king. What is a priest? What were the priestly duties in the Bible? We all read the Bible, right? What's the priestly duties of a, of, what's the priestly duties of a priest? Yes, Jedediah. To offer sacrifices for the people. Who are the priests today? Is the, is the old priestly sacrificial system still going on today? Is that something we want to continue with today? No, that's right, because who is the ultimate priest that laid the ultimate sacrifice? Jesus, God, the Bible, or covenant? Jesus, that's right. What book of the Bible talks about that supremacy of Christ the clearest? The book of Hebrews, right? Also the joke is in your house when somebody says, who brews the coffee, the, the male or the female? What's the answer? Hebrews, that's right, Hebrews the coffee. That would be a dad joke. So Jesus offered himself up once and for all and got rid of the sacrificial system, right? What are we called to do? We are called to be living sacrifices. We're not called, we're called to be living sacrifices, not to have sacrifices as Job did for his children because he thought they might have sinned, and he was a righteous man to do that. We're called to be living sacrifices. We're called to be living sacrifices. All right, next one is king, prophet, priest, and king. We all like this one because we want to be the kings. We want to be the center. We want the world around revolve around us. We want to be the kings. A two-year-old in a family wants to be the king of the family and they can't even go to the bathroom by themselves yet. But yet they still want to rule, right? So how is Jesus king? What is our role as king? How did he get to be king? Yes. By being a servant. And oftentimes, that is true, oftentimes that's misunderstood because it has to do with the definition of a servant. How is he a servant? He did whatever people told him to do? No. He did what God told him to do. He played his role. He did his duty. He was submissive to the Father. He wasn't submissive to whoever gave him something to do. He was a servant, but not a servant to all men. He was a servant to his Father. The meta narrative of all of Scripture can sometimes be said as kill the dragon, get the girl, right? Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. So what should the first Adam have done in the garden? They had the sin, he stood by, didn't kill the dragon. Um, it, it, Eve ate, gave it to Adam. Adam willfully went, she was deceived, he willfully did it. What, and then God comes and talks to him, right? And says, what, 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 what happened? And what do they do? They're hiding from God. Three people in the garden, and they're hiding from somebody. It's just crazy, but that's what we feel that sense of shame when we sin. What should Adam have done? And we know what Adam would have done. It's not in the text. Don't read in Genesis. How do we know what Adam should have done? It's because of what did Jesus do? Because he was the second Adam. Adam should have said, my life for hers. My life for hers. So that's being a servant. That's being submissive, but that's owning up to his duties and responsibilities, right? Because the king 
is the one that goes first in the battle. He leads, he sets an example in his kingly role. So kill the dragon, get the girl, and how do we need to do that? We need to kill the dragons in our lives. We do need to mortify the sin in our lives. We all want these responsibilities. We all want the authority, I should say, but we don't want the responsibility. We say we want the responsibility, but we really want the authority, but we're not willing to do the duties. So the definition, I think Doug Wilson told me this, he said the working definition that he had of a man is someone who runs to responsibility. So young boys, if you should grow to be a young man, run to responsibility, fix it, take responsibility for it. Because the easiest thing to do is say, he did it, she did it, um, it's his fault, right? Run to responsibility. And there's a difference between fault and responsibility. We can talk about that later. But Jesus was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled all three roles, all three roles. And so what did Jesus do? He was 100% submissive to the Father. He did prophet, priest, and king. And we have duties and responsibilities in that. We must know the scripture. This is just stating it. We must know the scriptures backwards and forwards. There's good examples. There's bad examples. We must have a desire to do the will of our Father. Not just a desire. We actually have to do it. Because sometimes you know what you should do, but you get faint-hearted. You get lazy, but we need to do the, the word of God. We need to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, which means giving up our will, not to give somebody else their will, but to give God his will. Because we're not a servant to everybody. We're a servant to God, so we need to be living sacrifices. And many times it is serving your neighbor, but it's always under the authority of God our Father. And then when, we're humil when we humiliate, when we have when we're humble, right? Humbleness isn't, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm just a, no. Humble is being submissive to God. That's what it is. So you can have, you can sometimes appear very bold when you're humble because you're being bold through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so then when we're brought low, we're raised high. And if you're at uh, Canaan's talk yesterday, um, there's a power in suffering. There's an authority that you get when you suffer because God is disciplining and training you for, for greatness. Um, and there are kings that aren't very good kings and there are kings that are great kings. Um, and we, we learn. And even a little child um, can be a king in, in taking care of his toy box, right? He doesn't take care of his room yet because he's young, but put the toys back in the toy box. He's a king of his toy box. She's a king of her toy box. She's either going to do it well or she's going to do it poorly. If she does it well, then more authority comes. Now take care of your room. Well, now let me give you this responsibility. Let me give you this responsibility. So if, if a person has very little responsibilities growing up or their responsibilities aren't increasing, maybe they're not being faithful with what the little that God has given them because uh, we need to learn these lessons before we rise up to have more kingly responsibilities. So there's a few issues that I talked about heresies. I started one, Jesus 100% God, 100% man. Uh, under prophet, priest, and king, there's a comment um, in our confessional standards. Yost is here. I think he talked on this when he was going through the 
Reformed doctrines, limited atonement, one of the five points of Calvinism. Can anybody remember what limited atonement is? It's kind of an offensive um, doctrine. And why is it offensive? Because it's the best? Yeah. So um, I'll, I'm, I'm priming the pump to get you guys to think about it. Uh, what's the difference between an Arminian and a Calvinist? Would they agree on limited atonement? They would differ on limited atonement. So for an Arminian, God saves all people but part of the way. All people but part of the way. Right? So everybody... Jesus died for, but only part of the way. What's the other part to get across the finish line? The person. The person has to not, yeah, it's like they're not dead, dead in their sins. They're mostly dead. They're kind of alive, and they need to do the rest of it. And what does limited atonement, or I, I always shy away from saying what does a Calvinist or what does a Reformed person say, but they're truncated summaries. The problem with saying the Calvinist doctrine, most people have this understanding of Calvinism or this understanding of reform, and we might have this because they've never read it. So what, is it, what does it mean to us, I should say? And don't assume that our understanding is the same as what somebody else has of our understanding because they just don't know about it. Yes? Yeah, instead of us being sick, we're really dead, dead, and dead means dead, right, in our sins. So limited atonement means that God didn't save all peoples part of the way. He saved some people all the way, all the way, all the way. So limited atonement, the Arminianist would say God saves all the people part of the way, the Calvinist, or what we would believe that the Bible teaches in many places, that God saves some people all the way. So those are doctrinal distinctions on what Jesus did in his priestly duties when he, um, when he died on the cross, who did he save? And then um, I wanted to talk about kingly duties and some of the heresies that are associated with that. Um, sometimes when I pray and when other people pray, We've, I've heard it said many times in the church, let no one doubt that ever since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he's been reigning at the right hand of God and reigning on earth. And he's making all the enemies under him his footstool. We just sang Psalm 2, right? Um, that's a psalm that speaks about this. But what do, most what do many evangelicals think about the kingship of Christ? Yes. Someday. someday. It's not now. Jesus earned the right to be king because he laid down his life. He sacrificed. Someday, but it's not today. His kingship is down the road. His kingship is down the road. What do Roman Catholics think about the kingship? They intertwine kingship and church as one. We don't align kingship and churches as one. We have three spheres of government civil magistrate, church, right? Um, civil magistrate, church, and the family. They say the church and the kingship of Christ is one. And the Roman Catholics, most Protestants, 
say, when I say most, I don't know if it's more than 50% or not, but we believe the kingship of Christ is reigning on earth now. Many say, nope, that's down the road. And um, the thought experiment I give people that tell me that, um, I, I say, what 100-year period would you rather live in? Pick a 100-year period that you'd rather live in. And they go, oh, I would rather live in the 60s, 50s, because the 60s were kind of messed up. I want to live in the 50s. Okay, so that's 1850 to 1950. Oh, maybe not that period. And then they go, well, before Biden became president. Okay, so then what happened before then? Pick any 100-year period. What period of life in all of antiquity would you rather live on? Right? By the way, you don't get the choice. God puts you to live in this, and we have to be faithful where God put us, right? Hopefully we'd be faithful when God put us um, being a, a slave in Egypt, right? But so if you take, if you look at today's events, you can say, oh, God must not be reigning because things are really, Jesus must not be reigning because things are really, really messed up, right? Well, and they are. But God makes crooked roads straight, right? It is messed up. But if you take 100-year periods and go through, you can see that God is doing something. The first time I heard this illustration, it made sense because during, um, during Bible studies when I was growing up, uh, the women would sit quietly and they would uh, do um, crocheting, I think is what it was. Anyway, they'd take these little needles and they'd go up like this. And I remember as a child looking at it and go, it doesn't even make sense. What are they doing? You got strings going, strings, threads going all over the place, you know? It didn't make sense. And then eventually I'd you know, keep my eye on them and they turn it over and go, oh, there's a beautiful picture there. And the illustration means nothing to you unless you've seen women, women do that. But God makes crooked roads straight. We look around and we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue why, and, and, I, and I pick on this, not because they're my progeny, but, but we pray every Lord's Day, Justin and Morgan, to have a baby. Why don't they have a baby? We don't know. We hold God to his promises. Why does Lauren have, we don't know. You know, why is there war? Why is there all this stuff that goes on? All the difficulties. God is disciplining us to trust him more and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus go through sufferings? Yeah, Jesus has humiliation. That's why he went through that. And to be God, to be man, is a whole lot different for us to be man and not get the life as how we would want it every day. Right? I mean, it's, it's comical. The shepherd became the sheep so that he could save his sheep. And we're worried about if we don't have the best food every day or the best job or the best situation every day. So I wanted to go through those heresies, different doctrin doctrinal standards um, on, uh, on priestly and kingly duties. But we believe that Jesus Christ is reigning. That's why we can go boldly forward. If you really thought there was a kingdom to come, then why build a Christian school? Why look for a building for a church that we pray for every Lord's Day that'll last us for a thousand years? Why do those things? Because Christ is going to come save the people. Why have a positive attitude? Why have children? Um, now I'm getting off on tangents. South Korea, um, I was on the board of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for a number of years, and they always used to brag that they trained pastors that were leading the largest churches in the world. A uh, couple in South Korea and then Bill Hybels Church in, in Chicago, Willowbrook, Willow Creek. And uh, 
South Korea in the um, 70s had the highest percentage of babies per married couple than any place in the country, or any place in the world. Now South Korea has the lowest birth rate of any place in the world. They're lower than Japan, less than one. That's your theology coming out your fingertips, right? I'm, I'm purposely not using, and I know I'm using it now, but whether you're pre-mill, on-mill, or post-mill, but if you're pre-mill and you think that it, things are getting worse and worse and worse, and then God's gonna come save and rescue you. And I grew up in the Vietnam area, so Vietnam was collapsing and we were gonna, God was gonna rescue everybody out, his people out. So it's a different doctrine than the limited atonement. He's only gonna rescue his people out, right? So they're not Armenians, they're Calvinists, if you will, or unlimited atonement. But if, if you believe the world's getting better and dominion, right? I mean, God, all, all enemies are laid at his feet you're more positive. You want to take a wife, you want to have kids, you want to give them Christian education so they know the scriptures, right? They want to be taught false doctrines, some at the government schools and some at Christian schools. You want to teach them well. This all ties in together. So the illustration I would give you is it's like World War II is over and um, there's all sorts of islands out in the South Pacific and it's our job to go tell all the Japanese and all these little outposts that the war is over. The war is over. King Jesus won. He beat the devil. Right? When the devil thought he had won, Jesus won. Right? Because he's put to death. Oh, it, but no, it's a deeper magic, as C.S. Lewis would say. So next week, we are going to look at the exaltation of Christ. Right? So we went through all the know the Bible, know yourself, how you understand all these things, going through all these little doctrines. And I want you to see the flow of all this information, what we as elders are trying to do from understanding the scriptures to remind you to read the Bible. And again, I'll just go back to reading the Bible. It's so much, e it's so easy on a Sunday to say, yep, I got to do it. Yep, I'm going to start it. Monday morning, I'm going to start it. And then Monday morning goes by, I forgot about it. Well, I'll do it. Yeah, well, the next Sunday again, it's just so easy to make all these excuses. You can tell everything about a person by looking at their checkbook, um, maybe their Venmo account today, you know, where you spend your money. Checkbook and your calendar is what I used to say. But it's where you spend your money and where you spend your time. That tells you everything about a person. What your true loves are. That tells you where your theology comes out your fingertips. And we need to know the scripture. We really do need to sacrifice for our families. And we need to take dominion, not ourselves by grasping, but we need to tell people the good news. It really is good news, right? Jesus died on the cross. He's reigning, your heavenly father's reigning on earth. We need to be positive about all those things. And so as much as I say WWJD, and I used to make fun of the bracelets, and I'm still somewhat making fun of them, we know what Jesus would do because we know what he did. That's not the question. The question is, what are you going to do as a husband and your to your wife? What are you going to do as the father to your children? Right? What are you going to do as a man who's not married? What are you going to do about as, as a woman who's not married? What are you going to do if you're two years old? Right? And you're in the real lowly humiliation. Jesus is a little boy, right? Are you going to obey? Or are you going to be the terrible twos? Or are you going to love the discipline that your parents are training you for when you were two? So when you're five or six, are you going to still fight that discipline? Are you going to be stiff neck? Are you going to be a Harness flesh or a harness stone. 
So these are things that we go through no matter what stage of life we're on. And as much as I can make fun of WJD, that's how we need to live our lives in the back of our minds every day. Because I can choose A, I can choose B. And who does that remind you of? Two trees in the garden, right? Two trees, A or B. Choose one, right? Oop, made the wrong choice. Hide, cover up, right? Right? Or, there I go again, mom, dad, there I go again. I, I, I made the wrong, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Help to discipline me so that I might grow in my faith and obedience, right? So that next time, I'll choose the right choice. And if you think it's just one choice, I can tell you as an old man now, there's always new temptations, always new choices, but you discipline yourself to grow. You mortify one sin, you got to mortify another, mortify another, right? But God gives us those because he's training us up to trust and obey in him more and more. I'll pray and then I'll take questions if there are any questions. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the examples that Jesus gave throughout um, all of Scripture and in his own life, how he suffered. We live in times that are easy. We live in soft times. We are not um, trained for war. We are trained. Um, and so because we're not trained for difficult times, oftentimes the littlest things rattle us. We don't practice well, so we don't play well. Help us, Father, to train ourselves, to discipline ourselves like an athlete does to run the Olympics, that we might win the good fight. In Jesus' name we ask these things, and amen.